Oh, great and awesome Father God, we, we do come, we do come to hear your word that you have preserved through the ages for us. What a great truth, Father, that by the power of your Spirit, you change us. And Father, I pray today that as I would preach, it would be faithfully preaching your word. I pray your spirit would guide my words. I pray your spirit would be moving in the hearts of your people, that they would listen to be changed. May we see Christ. May we be encouraged and edified and equipped, rebuked, corrected. Whatever you have for us, Father, we pray you would bring it. Because we are here to be different. For Christ's sake and for your glory, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, Grace Fellowship Church. Guests. It is, I'm a little, I had no idea we were having all these guests. I figured the wedding would be over and people would be going home. So I'm very, but I, I got to tell you, I'm extremely humbled and thankful to, to be worshiping with you who have come from out of town and brothers and sisters in the Lord that come together to worship our God. Thankful, and we welcome you. Yesterday, most of us in here went to West Liberty uh, for a wedding ceremony and celebration. And I think most of us would, everybody I've talked to, and most of us would testify it was a wonderful day. It's a beautiful day God gave us weather-wise, and it's a beautiful setting. And we went and we experienced good fellowship, good food, good feelings. We had excitement and happiness. But what we mainly went and witnessed was a wedding ceremony between a man and a woman. And by the way, for those that are guests, this is a pre-sermon. We'll get to the text in a little while, but something we do around here is talk about something that's gone on. So we're going to be in Luke, but we're not there yet. But we witnessed a marriage, a wedding, a wedding ceremony to start a marriage between a man, Thayer, and a woman, Sage. That's what we saw. Brother Keith proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, and how we can have right relationship with God to be the bride of Christ as he, as he told us about what we were witnessing and experiencing. He talked about headship and a helpmate. He talked about the equality of a man and a woman inside of God's eyes. And, and yet he, he, he spoke on the clear picture of male and female within a marriage. Their different roles and their responsibilities. I was I was encouraged. I was encouraged again to to hear that proclaim the truth that we know. God made them male and female. And it was not good that man should be alone, so he gave him a helpmate, woman. Because out of each came Esau, out of man came woman, and the two became one flesh. And as, as Brother Keith told us yesterday, they fit together rightly and well. And, and I, I, I drove away, and I, I was so encouraged. I was, I was thinking about the crazy world that we live in. The crazy world. I, I was talking to Brother Keith very briefly after just telling him, praise the Lord for the service. And he said something like, yeah, no room for LGBTQ in that. 
And it's what I was thinking about. I was thinking about the, the thing that we watched a man and a woman get married and this, this heinous distortion that we live around these days. We, we, act, we, actually, we actually live in a world where we don't know what a woman is. Where we're, where we're mutilating children and adults to make them something that God didn't make them. And I was reminded yesterday of how important it is that we Christians stand on the reality of male and female and marriage and family. One man and one woman. Because it's easy for us to get upset about transgenderism. But let's back up a step. Let's back up a step to to welcoming homosexuality. To where you distort Obergefell decision. You distort marriage marriage being between two men. No, no, that's not possible. That's, that's, that's purple obtuse. It doesn't go together. Marriage is what God, we saw yesterday, a wedding ceremony to create a marriage of one man and one woman that by the grace of God, let's go back farther. In this country that we live in, we decided that no-fault divorce was okay. And, and we decided that birth control was a good thing, so fornication and free love was okay. But not for Christians, amen? So we, we start letting those things in, and it's no, no wonder we end up where we are. Let's remember what we heard about and saw and affirmed yesterday. God created the male and female. And he put together a man and a woman. And what God has put together, let not man put asunder. We Christians have got to stand on these truths. We can't be timid and afraid to stand on these truths. God need be glorified. The gospel needs to be preached to these people who believe these, these heinous distortions of what's true and good and right. We Christians must proclaim and protect in our own lives in our own words, God's design for marriage. And if you're not willing, repent. And if you're accepting of transgenderism in any way, repent. Or homosexuality in the church, repent. We, we love all of, all of God's creation, all human beings, the pinnacle of God's creation, made in the image of God. And we love them, and we care about their soul. And we love them too much to call them they. Or call Bob Sally. We won't do that as Christians, will we? We will stand on the truth. And we will remember, if nothing else, remember the wedding we just saw yesterday. And the clear proclamation of the gospel. And the clear picture of, of, of eternity in heaven with Christ and his bride. The picture that this beautiful thing called marriage is. Amen? Amen. Okay, we will be in Luke chapter 11 today. If you open your Bibles to Luke chapter 11, we'll be in verses 1 and 2. And as you're turning there, we all know that prayer is a very important part of the Christian life. Every one of us in here, every Christian in here, probably desires that their prayer life would be better or more rich.
So, so as we look at something today, some, we start looking at something that people know. We, we've all heard of the Lord's Prayer, and we've probably heard many sermons on the Lord's Prayer, and I would prefer to call it the model prayer. The Lord's Prayer, I believe, is in John 17. This is a model prayer. He's giving us a template of how to pray. And so um, prefer to call it the model prayer, so that's what I'll call it. Uh, but, I, but, I, but I hope that we all will have open minds and open hearts and actually really consider the things that were taught, that we would be different, that we really would be different. I know I, know I am different from preparing for this sermon. I'm different than I was a week ago. And I, I hope and I pray that's true for all of us. So please stand and I'll read Luke chapter 11, verses 1 and the beginning of verse 2. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. You may be seated. Let's come today and let's ask the same question that the disciple asked of Jesus. Jesus, teach us to pray. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, Prayer is beyond any question the highest activity of the human soul. Of all the blessings of a Christian salvation, none is greater than this. We have access to God in prayer. So, we ought to pray in the way Jesus teaches, yes? Martin Luther said to pray, to pray well is the better half of study. Martin Luther says, To pray well is the better half of study. You study, and then you pray well, and that's the better part. To pray well. To pray well, then let's study what Jesus teaches us about praying. Now, in we all probably know that in Matthew chapter six we see the sermon in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaching on prayer. The model prayer is there too. Uh, that was some 12 to 18 months before this occurrence. So this is another teaching by Jesus on how to pray. It's very similar, but it's different, and it's because it's two different times. This, is, this was in uh, probably near Jerusalem, near Bethany. Remember, he was just at Mary and Martha's house, and the Sermon on the Mount was in Galilee, again, some year, year and a half earlier. So Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Why did they need teaching on prayer? Obviously, John the Baptist's disciples prayed differently because they were saying, hey, he taught his disciples how to pray. Obviously, they prayed differently. Obviously, Jesus was praying differently. They had just heard him pray, and it was was different than what they knew. So, why do we need teaching on prayer? Most of us pray how we were taught to pray. I would argue that prayer is a learned behavior. Like a lot of things in religion or in Christianity or the church world, things we do are a learned behavior. Some of you may have been raised in a Pentecostal environment where speaking in tongues was something you learned. It was a learned behavior and and since have been stopped doing that because it was something you learned that you no longer do. But prayer, we learn to pray from our parents, our spiritual leaders, wherever we heard prayer is really where we've learned to pray, I would say. And that was true for these disciples of Jesus also. 
They, they had heard and learned prayer from rabbis and Pharisees and scribes and the religious Jewish elite in the synagogues. Before the Sermon on the Mount, well, in the Sermon on the Mount, before Jesus teaches on prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 6, verse 5, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The prayers they had been used to seeing was prayers to be seen by men. Uh, out in front of people, being noticed. So they, they had learned to pray, and they noticed Jesus would go and pray by himself. He wasn't, he wasn't praying out in front to be seen, and, and they, were, they were used to seeing that. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. They had learned to pray in that way. Lots of words, lots of phrases, lots of repeating things, thinking they would be heard because of their many words. I think it's 65 words in the, in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew, and I think 47 or something like that here. In the model prayer, it's very brief. It's not a lot of words. But that's how they had learned to pray. They had, they had, they had seen these empty phrases being repeated, these, these prayers of Judaism. They were recited. They were scripted at certain times in certain places. So Jesus' disciples had not been trained well, and many of us have not been trained well. I think God's been very kind to us here at Grace Fellowship Church. We're more biblical in our prayer. However, we must always be reforming. I know for me, this was a, a reforming week preparing for this sermon, even in my own prayer life and how I pray and how I approach prayer. Even though we've, pray, we've taught on prayer many times at this church, so please don't, don't check out. Let's 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 check in. Let's 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 be transformed. So first let's consider the focus of prayer. And let's do an overview of this model prayer. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place when he had finished. One of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, Pray in the synagogue. Pray on your knees with your hands folded and your eyes closed. Pray in the morning and at meals and at bedtime. Is that what he taught? He taught nothing about where to pray, positionally how to pray, or when to pray. We're told to pray without ceasing, yes? So it gets confusing. We're to pray without ceasing. How do I drop to my knees in the middle of the... I'm driving on the highway. Am I supposed to close my eyes and put my hands together. No, he, he's teaching them prayer and because these are things that are real in our lives were real in the, his audience's life. Like we pray at church, don't we? It's time to pray. Most of us pray at bedtime, mealtime. We're to pray ongoingly and, and prayer being, being the, 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 the words of our heart, even silent words going up to, to God as we pray throughout the day. And it's not about shutting your eyes and putting your head down. No, we want to be reverent. I understand, but it's, it's not necessary. It's not necessary, and we don't only pray in church. And unfortunately, I think many people only pray in church or pray mostly in church. Here's what he says. Say this, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. 
Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us, lead us not into temptation. Here's, here's, here's the overview of the prayer. We, we are to pray God's relationship to us. We're to pray God's holiness, God's sovereignty, God's provision, God's forgiveness as our example, God's leadership and care. What is the focus of this prayer? God. The focus of this prayer is not me. The focus of the prayer that we see, the model prayer, the prayer that we're being shown, is to center not on my wants and needs, but to be centered on God and who He is. Father, sovereign, holy, forgiving, majestic, deliverer. That's the focus of prayer. The focus of prayer is God, not me. Prayer is not designed to get God to agree with us. Rather, prayer is to conform our desires to His purpose and will. For those who have been here, you understand we, we talk about this a lot. Prayer is not to align God's will to ours. Prayers to align our will to His. And if you think about it, most people pray the opposite. They go in and they tell God, here's what needs to happen. Hey, you're sovereign, you're, but you need to do these things. Instead of, we go to prayer to align our wills up with His purpose and His will. Because He is the focus of our prayer. Now, let's look at the model prayer. Start looking at it a little more closely. As Christians, we pray to our Father. It's funny, Pastor Nick, this morning in the psalm we had in God's providence, and interestingly, in God's providence, it's what the world calls Father's Day. We get to preach about the Father. Wow, that's so cool to me. But, but Pastor Nick was saying this, this, this God, this God who created everything, seen and unseen, and then talked about the, the immensity of that. This is the God we pray to, and He is our Father. The first thing that Jesus says is, when you pray, say, Pater, Father. First thing Jesus tells us to remember in our prayer is that God is our Father. This is very common in the New Testament. And in today's world, you hear more of that. To his audience, this would have been very unusual. Unusual. Jesus uses Father in his prayers. Every time he addresses God, the Father, he uses him and addresses him as Father except once. Where was that once? On the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The one time he doesn't call him Father is when he's being made sin for the sins of his people. And there's a separation from God, so he doesn't call him Father. Other than that, he always calls him Father. The Jews would not address God as Father. They viewed him as awesome and holy, and they, they, they dared not be intimate with him. They were too afraid of him to call him Father. But we, we know that we are his children. And we can approach him as such. Romans 8, 14, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, 
but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. No reason to be afraid. You're his son. You're his daughter. By whom we cry, Abba, Father, Abba. Abba is an Aramaic word. And it's, it's very misunderstood, I would argue. It doesn't mean daddy or poppy. Uh, it, it, it's, it, does, it is a word of intimacy. And it's in Aramaic, whereas pater is in Greek, and he's talking to both, and so is Paul when he writes these things. But, but the word Abba does denote intimacy. It also denotes obedience. It wasn't a term that was used lightly like, like daddy. But it is certainly a term of intimacy. So to say Abba, Father, is to talk about being intimate. Abba, Father. But, again, people can tend towards this maybe ushy-gushy thing. Ushy-gushy is fine, but, but make no mistake, this God we're going to look at in a little bit is holy, but do not lose the fact that when we pray to God the Father, He is our Father. He is in intimate relationship with us that are in Christ Jesus. Now, those who aren't in Christ, He's not your Father. I mean, Father in creation, but He's not your Father. They're of the Father. Their Father is the devil. If you don't know Christ, then your prayers aren't even heard by God in the sense that He's going to interact with them. But for you and us, brothers and sisters, He is our Father. We are His adopted children. Galatians 4, 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons of God, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Because we are redeemed by the work of the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, God the Son, we are God's children. And if we are God's children, we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, which causes us to cry out to Him, Abba, Father. If you're afraid, Christian, to go to God as your Father, the Spirit of God living in you will enable you to do that. Call Him Father. Not in some dry sense of the word. Not recollecting your own biological Father and all the problems that brings into our brains. No, this is our perfect Father. And He is. We are His children. Every bit as much as Jonathan and Sophia are my adopted children. They are my children. I love them. They can come to me anytime. We are His adopted children. We can go to God anytime. And we know that it's our Father who we're going to. John 1, 12. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. For those God chose to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, He gave them the right to be children of God. Like I said before, not everyone can pray empowered by the Holy Spirit to their Father, but we can, Christians. 
We who have put our faith and trust in Christ, God has given us the right to become His child. And we can interact with Him in that manner. Jesus teaches us here to to born again, regenerate, new creation, that God is now our Father, and we ought to remember that when we pray. This is the first thing we're to remember. We pray. We're not praying into thin air. We're not praying to some 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 being out there that no, we're praying to our Father. We are praying to God in heaven who's our Father. It means so much. If you if you think you're praying just something into thin air and hope it gets caught, you don't understand. We get to boldly approach the throne of grace, the the throne of mercy in our time of need, and we know that in and through Christ, we can enter and we can talk to God. And He hears us in a personal way. Psalm 103, 13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. For He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. We are praying to our compassionate Father who shows us compassion. He knows how frail and fragile we are. This is who we pray to. He is our help. Jeremiah 31, 9, With weeping they shall come, and with pleas for mercy I will lead them back. I'll make them walk by brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble, for I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. When a child child hurts themselves or they're in trouble, they go to their father, yes? We hurt ourselves and we're, we're in trouble. We go to our Father. And, and, he, and he, will, he will guide us back. He will correct us. He will, he will have compassion on us. He will correct us and He will guide us back. He welcomes us when we are sorrowful, when we need mercy. We are praying to our Father. Hebrews twelve five. And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline, paideia, the chastening, the nurture, the instruction to increase virtue. Don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved, elegco. It means to rebuke, convince, to find fault with. Nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises. That word is is mastagao. It means to scourge or to flog. He flogs every son whom he receives. This is the God we pray to. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. We pray to our Father who disciplines us, who flogs us, who trains us, who corrects us, who rebukes us, who loves us, who has compassion on us, who knows how frail we are, who knows how fragile we are. 
This is who we pray to our Father who is, who is compassionate and yet, and, in, and also, He is going to discipline us and He is going to chasten us and He is going to change us and He is going to make us more like His Son. He will guide us onto the right path. This isn't, this isn't our Father who we go to who we get to just come with all of our filth and dirt and expect that we won't be corrected. We ought to go for that correction. We're having troubles and trials and struggles and we go, to, we go to the Father to be corrected, to line our wills up with His. Confessing our sins to Him. We are praying to our Father. The very first thing Jesus tells us when He's teaching us to pray is to say, Father. Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. We are those brothers. Christ is the firstborn. We are the brethren. We are His children, just as God the Father has God the Son as His child. We are His children. And He he loves us. We love Him because He first loved us, and He works all things for our good. This is who we pray to. This is why we're not afraid. This is why we're not afraid to go to Him and confess our sins. To go to be corrected and rebuked. We're not afraid of that because we know that all these things work for good. That we are His child. He is our Father. What then shall we say to these things? It is God who is for us. Who can be against us? He did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. How will we? He not also with... With him, graciously give us all things. Who shall bring any charge? Give us all things. We will see later. I mean, who, what father? We know how to give good gifts to our children. How much better does God know how to give us good gifts? He's going to give us what we need. Go pray. He's not going to give us what we want, possibly, because when we go pray, our wants are going to be lined up with his wants. Not vice versa, but He's going to give us good gifts because He's for us. He's our Father. He loves us. He's working all things for our good. Even when we're being chastened. Even when we're having trials and struggles. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Christ is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. So, so as we come in Christ, there's no condemnation. No matter what we come with, no matter what sin we've done or what bad thinking we have, we can go to Him knowing that He loves us. He's working all things for good, even if what's going to come our way is correction. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
So tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. This is the Father who we are praying to. This is what Jesus teaches us, to pray to the sovereign God over all creation who is our Father, who has compassion on us, who loves us, who chastens us, who disciplines us because we're his children. This is, this is who we pray to, our Father, who knows how frail and fragile we are, who knows all of our thoughts before we even have them, who knows all of our deeds before we're even born. And we are made right with Him, and we are now His children, so why not go and know you're going to your Father? You're not going to some mean, nasty ogre or someone who treated you poorly like your father might have. You're going to the perfect God of all creation, the the one who has has no error, no sin, nothing wrong, everything perfect. This is who you're going to, who's for you, who loves you, and who is working all things for your good. Do you go in prayer that way? This is not emotionalism, but it's an extremely emotional reality for me. it's, it's, it's mind-blowing to me that, that God knows me and He knows everything that I think and I do. And yet, I can go to Him. I can say, I did this, Father, forgive me. And a spanking may come. And correction may come. And I know that He loves me. I know that He's working all things for my good. I know that I'm accepted because of Christ, and I have no fear. But that means you come honestly. Parents, you know this well. Children, just tell us the truth and we can work with you. You start lying to me, I can't help you. You ever said that to your kids? Stop lying to God then. He knows. You know how you know they did it and they just won't admit it? And you sit there for 45 minutes to finally get them to say the truth? Don't be that way. Because, see, I know my children come to me and tell me the truth. I might not treat them perfectly. But I know this. When I go to God, confessing my sins, He's faithful to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And I know He's not going to treat me wrongly. And anything I come out of my anything that comes out of my confession and profession, it's okay. It's coming from a loving father. So don't lie to God. Don't be afraid of God, Christian. He has compassion for you, Christian. He loves you. He is not some distant God who is indifferent to us. He is not indifferent to you, Christian. He is not distant and far from you. He cares about you. He loves you. 
His son died for you. He adopted you. Your spirit, the spirit of God living in you that that cries out, Abba, Father. And we don't have to go, ah. We can go broken. We ought go humbly, but we don't have to go in fear. And as a sidebar, fathers, your children not have to come to you in fear. Even if they got a whooping coming. They ought not have to come to you in fear. As you be a picture of God to your children, let them come to you how you can come to your father. We're praying to a God who loves us, cares about us, and for us. This is where Jesus says to start praying. And then, we also then must remember He is a thrice holy God. Pray like this, Father, hallowed be Your name. We pray to our Father who is holy. Hagiazzo. To honor as holy. Hallow. Feel reverence. Regard as holy. This is the first petition that Jesus teaches us to make. Okay, we've addressed Him as our Father. Now we're making our first petition. Our first petition is make your name holy. This, this word here in Luke 2, hagiazzo, it's in the aorist imperative. It means it's a specific, definitive action. In other words, do this now. It has urgency. Our prayer is, Father, make your name holy. Hallowed be your name. We are, we are, we are telling God, We are agreeing with God that He is holy and we are praying, Father, hallowed be Your name. Do this. This is a petition. It's not just a statement of fact. This is our petition. This is our prayer. This is our request. Hallowed be Your name. We won't spend much time because we've talked about this many times, but in Judaism, the name of someone, even in our... Your name, it encompasses everything that you are. So God's name is not to make the letters G-O-D holy. It's to make everything that He is separate and set apart. Make Him hallowed. God, make Him holy. We are praying to our Father, very intimate Father, that He would make Himself hallowed. And again, like we talked about, it's not daddy or big fellow when we say father. It is, it is Abba, Father. It is this, this intimate relationship and an obedient relationship as, as you address him that way. And then immediately you're saying, hallowed be your name. You are holy, holy, holy. You are, you are father for sure. And you are so separate. So while you're our father, you're not like us. We're not like you. You are set apart. Your being is matchless. You are awesome. Make yourself awesome.
No, no flippancy or shallowness. The church I used to go to, and so many people I've heard, they, they take this Abba Father and they turn it into some kind of you know, flippant, shallow address. No, we are addressing the God of the universe, who is our Father. And we are addressing Him with reverence, and we are saying, make your name holy. As Christians, what we are praying and what we will do is through, through our doctrines and our actions, we will make God holy. We will have His name be hallowed. All for His great name. Look at Ezekiel 36.16 and listen to what God says as, as He's describing the new covenant. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, when the house of Israel lived in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Their ways before me were like the uncleanness of a woman in her menstrual impurity. So I poured out my wrath upon them for the blood that they shed in the land for the idols with which they had defiled it. My people didn't live right. They lived in horrible ways. And so I poured out judgment upon them. I scattered them among the nations, he says, and they were dispersed throughout the countries. In accordance with their ways and their deeds, I judged them. They weren't living like my people. And so I judged them and I scattered them and I sent them to all these other nations. But when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name. In that the people said of them, these are the people of the Lord, and yet they had to go out of his land. These people, these are God's people, and this is how they live? This is how God, this is how Israel's how God's people live? They were profaning the name of God. He said this, verse 21, But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. Therefore, Say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act. So I'm about to do something here because y'all ain't handling it right. But I'm doing this not for your sake. I'm doing this for my sake, says God, for my holy name. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, and though, and through, through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. <laughs> I'm going to do something, and what I'm going to do is to make me look great. Y'all have messed it up. I'm going to do something that's going to show them I'm real. That I'm God. For my name's sake. I will take you from the nations and gather you from the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle, sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave your father. You shall be my people. I'll be your God. Here's what's going to happen. 
I'm going to work. Y'all have profaned my holy name. I'm going to make my name great again. And how I'm going to do that is I'm going to redeem a people. And I'm going to give them a new heart. I'm going to take out their heart of stone. I'm going to put it in a heart of flesh. I'm going to put my spirit within them. And then they're going to walk in my statutes. And I'm going to look great because of what I'm going to do in those people that I'm going to do. I'm going to do it all. That's you and me. That's you and me. What he's done is he's taken out our heart of stones, Jason, and he's put in a heart of flesh. What he's done, Emily, is he's, he's given a spirit within us. And what he's doing is having us live in a way that hallows his name. I pray to my Father that he would be made great through me. Through his work in me. That's what you pray, Christian. Father, do this. Make your name Great. We petition God, the first petition to God our Father is that He would make His name great through us and through our lives. Through our doctrines and our actions. That God would be made great. Psalm 111. Our Father saved us. Holy is his name. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. We, we have to try to understand something that maybe we don't understand from the model prayer, at least how we've looked at it before. Here's what Jesus is telling us in the model prayer. He's saying, here's how you're going to pray. And by the way, it wasn't teach us a prayer. It was teach us to pray. It's not something we go repeat. That would be just what he was talking against in Matthew 6. This is a a template. This is a model. This is how we ought to pray. And and when when, when he's telling us how to pray, he says, here's what you do. First, know who you're praying to. Your father. You're his children. Approach him as if he's your father, who you respect, who you obey, and who you know will treat you rightly, perfectly when you go to him. Then you pray. Your very first petition is to be, make your name great. Glorify yourself. Hallowed be your name. God, and how you're going to do that is, you're going to, you're going to chasten me, you're going to teach me. You're going to reprove me. You're going to discipline me. I'm going to look more and more like Christ. And as I do, you're going to look really good. Because you deserve glory and honor and praise. I can't do this, God. I got nothing. Left to my own device, I'm going to keep making you look bad because I don't do things the way I ought. Help me, Father, as I pray. Show me how to make your name great. Use me. Change me. Discipline me. Chasten me. Keep me. Love me. Care for me. All for your glory that I can live a life of purpose that makes you look good. For your sake. For your name's sake. This is what he's doing. This is what the new covenant, this is what he's done. Tony, he's given you a new heart. He's taken out the heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. Cal, he's put his spirit in you. That you can now live in a way that makes his name great. 
And if you're not, repent. Go to him. Admit it. Confess it. He loves you. He's for you. He cares for you. He's not going to reject you. There is no condemnation. There is loving correction. This is how to pray. Father, hallowed be your name. Father, pater in the Greek, Abba in the Aramaic. Our Father who knows us, loves us, cares for us, has compassion upon us, corrects us, disciplines us. Our Father who loves us. Make your name great through us. And when I pray for Tyler, Father, make your name great through Tyler. Change him. Correct him. Teach him. Have their marriage be a picture of Christ in the church that glorifies you. Father, Thayer and Sage, that they would live a life that would bring you glory and people would see your greatness. That Mike and Emily would live that way. Father, Abba. I think Jesus, Jesus modeled this in in a really clear way in John 12. He knows he's going to be crucified. And now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, we know in the garden he was troubled, wasn't he? He was sweating blood. Take this cup from me. Is there any way? He goes to him as his father, telling him what's going on. But for the purpose, this purpose I have come to this hour, Father, glorify your name. Father, I don't like what I'm going through right now. I don't, I don't really like the persecution. I don't like the reviling. I don't like the slander. I don't like the lies. Should I fight back? Should I return evil for evil? Glorify your name. Make yourself great. Make me nothing. Make me like Christ. That you might look awesome because you're awesome. Father, Abba, Jesus went in prayer to his Father in heaven when he was troubled. And yet he knew, he knew that he was here to glorify his Father in heaven. Yes? That's what you're here for, Christian. That's what you're here for. That's what you've been saved for, to make his name great, to make him look good. So, so, we, so, so we go to pray? Father, I know you love me, so take all this persecution from me because you, you really don't want me to feel so bad. Father, you know this disease I got, you really don't want me to have this, I'm sure. Take it away. No, 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 no. We're going to suffer well, aren't we, Christian? We're going to die well. We're going to live well. We're going to trust in the Lord with whatever comes our way. Father, I have sleepless nights. I know you don't want your child to not sleep. I'll trust you as I don't sleep. I know Christ had many sleepless nights. I'll pray. I'll pray for the brethren. 
I'll pray that your name would be great. And you'll show me how to do that. And I'll get a nice correction and I'll get some discipline, I'm sure, that tonight. But let's go. Make your name great. Every prayer we make to our Father who loves us and is for us. He works all things for our good. Every prayer we make begins with our desire for God's name to be hallowed. Our prayers ought start with the desire for God's name to be hallowed. That's the first petition that Jesus tells us to make to our Father. God does not exist in heaven to fulfill our dreams or to carry out our will. It's not why God exists. He exists in heaven and He saved us and made us His children so He might display His will and His kingdom and His glory. Hallowed be Thy name. I'm going to repeat this. God does not exist in heaven to fulfill our dreams, to carry out our desires and our will. He exists in heaven and has saved us and made us his children so that he might display his will, his kingdom, and his glory through us. Hallowed be his name. Closing thought. Beloved, may we be malleable and quick to change as Jesus teaches us to pray to our Father who is holy, holy, holy. And it is our desire to make him look that way. Amen? Father, you are such a good and kind God. What you have done for us, I was contemplating as Pastor Nick was reading the psalm and having us consider, <laughs> who, who is man that you are mindful of him? And you are mindful of him for your glory. You have called out a people to worship and to serve you. You have called out a people to look like Christ. You have saved us that we might live to bring you glory. Through many things, Father, yes, we certainly, we practice hospitality for your glory. <laughs> I am confident that there are brethren from Florida and New York that are here and being cared for by people who would not care for them if it weren't for you. Father, I pray that you are hallowed by those actions. Father, I pray that you would help us. Help us to live our lives and even to approach you in prayer with a desire for you. For you to be hallowed. For you to be seen for who you are. And Father, I am so thankful that I we know that we can only come to you and that we are only adopted as your children because of the work of Christ and our faith in him. Father, for those in here 
who even pray. I think about the people who start their prayers with Father God that don't know you. Father, they may not, they may not learn to pray Father God and not know you as their Father, as they would know Christ as their Lord and Savior. In whose name we pray all of these things. Amen. Stand and sing hymn 413, Merciful God. 413, Merciful God.